You know, you might know the uh, the name Christopher Hitchens. He's a fairly well-known atheist and, and author in our culture today. Wrote a uh, best-selling book titled "God Is Not Great: Why Religion Poisons Everything." He wrote that, and it was published in 2007. And since then, he has gone around the country. Uh, Talking and, and uh, debating, talking about his book, debating with religious leaders. A couple of years ago, he was in the Portland area and he had an interview uh, with a woman named Marilyn Sewell. Marilyn is the pastor of the Unitarian Church in Portland, um, probably one of the largest Unitarian churches in the world. And the entire interview is, is posted online. It's pretty fascinating, but I want to share just a uh, a brief exchange from that interview. Marilyn Sewell says to Christopher Hitchens, the religion that you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. She says, I'm a liberal Christian and I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe, for example, in the doctrine of atonement that Jesus died for our sins. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Hitchens' response was this. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, well, then you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. That's pretty significant, don't you think? I mean, here's a man who understands the bedrock of the Christian faith, debunks it, doesn't believe it in himself, and yet calls someone out on their inconsistency of claiming to be a Christian and not believing that, that bedrock piece of the faith. That is so fascinating. Later on in the same interview, he said this. He said, Christianity, remember is really founded by St. Paul, not by Jesus. Paul says very clearly that if it is not true that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then we, the Christians, are of all the people most unhappy. He went on to say, if none of that's true, and you seem to say that it isn't, I have no quarrel with you. You're not going to come to my home trying to convince me. You're not trying to get a tax break from the government. Nor are you trying to have it taught to my children in school. If all Christians were like you, I wouldn't have to write this book, said Christopher Hitchens. So this morning, as we launch into our new Sunday study of the book of Ephesians, I think it will be quickly evident in our text this morning that the work of salvation done by Jesus, that bedrock truth of our faith, it is, as Hitchens would say, very clearly important to the Apostle Paul. And just before we stand and read our text for this morning, I want to I just say a couple of things that will, I think, I hope, serve as sort of guides for us as we, uh, we, we go on this journey together. As we, as we settle into the, the first part of chapter 1 this morning, I hope that we can keep in mind that as we continue on through Ephesians, 
I really think that these verses are sort of a, a preamble under which everything else in the book or the letter derives its meaning. Um, I hope that in the days to come, even as we continue to move on through the book, you'll go back to these first verses and read them again and again. Uh, see it, if you will, as kind of a, a set of lenses through which you, you look through and see the rest of the book of Ephesians. It, it, there, there's a richness and an awe in these first verses. I think you'll agree. And then the second thing, I just feel like I, I need to remind you of what you already know is true, but as we begin to go through Ephesians, we're not going to go through it uh, in, in a truly, strictly exegetical style. We're not going to go through word by word, verse by verse. Uh, what I intend to do is to is to take what I think are, are the significant truths of, of the text for each morning and uh, strive to, to bring those, those truths into our lives in a way that, that is, is meaningful. But here's what you need to remember. That's just my call. And, and there is so much in Ephesians that, that we won't touch or do much with in these weeks that we study it. <clears throat> so, that's your invitation and your challenge to be reading Ephesians. You know, what we do here on Sunday mornings together will just be kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. And I want to encourage you, dig in for yourselves. You know, spend the other six days of the week uh, digging through Ephesians. And, and ask the Spirit of God to open your mind and your heart to the truths that are there. Significant, rich, amazing book. So, let's, uh, let's stand together this morning and we're going to read some verses from chapter 1. I think you'll agree. There is a sense of awe here. And, and, and can I give you a, a quick listening assignment? Don't get distracted by this. But I always want you to listen closely to the words that we're reading together. Listen for how many times in these verses... Paul makes reference to Jesus Christ or how many times he makes reference to Christ or you may hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, don't be distracted by it, but maybe just kind of quietly tick off the numbers of times as you as you hear those words. I've divided our reading up into three leader readings and then we together as the uh, congregation. So our first reader is going to start us off. Here we go. Together. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. My brothers and sisters, you just heard the apostle, a Jew, communicating to believers in the region of Ephesus, many of them non-Jews, and that would be us, that we too were included in this marvelous plan of salvation. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God for his wonderful word. Amen? Okay, be seated. Okay, did any of you just kind of kick it off there? How many did you count? Did you count eight? Seven. Eight's good. I think seven's right. But it's okay. You can't have too much of Jesus Christ, Jill. It's, it's really okay. Now, here's what we didn't read together is the introduction. The first couple of verses... Listen to to what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in two verses, if we add those three to the seven that we've already read, we have ten references to Jesus Christ In 14 verses. I might be wrong, but I think there's an important theme here. What do you think? Seems fairly significant. Unlike, I read this story this week. I just had to share this. Talk about insignificant. This is one of those stories. According to the Welland Tribune, the uh, Canada Border Services Agency is being asked to explain why it spent $143 million training approximately 1,500 border guards to bear firearms. That's because the neighbors to the south are so unruly, I think. More than $91,000 per agent. Now, the union representing the officers argue that the guns are needed to protect the staff from facing dangerous situations. Now, the Canadian Taxpayers Association says that's insane. The cost per agent is just so large it merits serious question. And since being armed, the officers have drawn their weapons 100 times. But they have only discharged a weapon once, and that was to kill an injured moose. (laughs) We can easily be distracted with things of lesser importance Paul is not about to be distracted in the book of Ephesians from what is of primary importance. He knows that it's of absolute importance and, and, and he, he gets it right. What is significant, not just in our text, is this emphasis on Jesus Christ present. But as you read through the book of Ephesians, you will find it again and again and again. Now, that's not unusual. If you've read Paul, you know that uh, 
Paul had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It pretty much turned his life around. So in any of his writings, you find lots of emphasis on Jesus. What's significant about Ephesians is this, that he links Jesus and Christ together. Without exception, throughout the entire book. So, let's just create a little bit of interaction here for a few minutes together about this. Now, you know that we're not talking first and last names here, right? When we say Jesus Christ. Uh, we're talking first name and a title, okay? Now, you know, most of you know what the name Jesus means. Do you remember Jesus means, we heard this again in Matthew during the Adventist. Yeah, God saves, technically. Um, it's the uh, Greek derivative of the Hebrew Joshua. God saves. How about the Christ? Anybody know what the title of Christ is? The Messiah, the Anointed One. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's... So that's the title that Paul links with the name Jesus. So tell me again, what does Jesus mean? God saves. And the Christ title means? Okay, so turn to your neighbor and ask them this simple question. What do you get when you put these two together? Okay, what'd you hear? Seems like a simple question, maybe even a silly question. I think it's important in the context of Hebrews. What'd you hear? What do you think? What do you get when you put the two together? Christ saves the anointed one. Okay, literally. Yeah, what else? A name and a title. What do we got when we put them together? God's Son, our Savior. God saves through the anointed one. This is the anointed one. Paul is wanting the Ephesians to be very, very clear about who the Savior is. Jesus the man is the Messiah, God's appointed one, through whom he chooses to bring salvation. Does that make sense? Okay, just keep listening for a minute. Paul was preaching about Jesus in Ephesus, story in Acts chapter 19. And not unusual, Paul got himself into trouble. Paul got himself into trouble all the time preaching about Jesus. In Ephesus, you might remember, there was a temple there to Artemis, the Greek goddess Diana. And she was known in the Greek world as the goddess of nature. She was the goddess of childbirth. She was the goddess of hunting. She was the goddess who was the protector of the weak. Now, Listen, let me just read a, a couple of paragraphs from that story in Acts chapter 19. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the skilled workers there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no God at all. How unreasonable of Paul. <laughs> Goes on to say there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, 
who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. In the region of Ephesus, the city and the region, the goddess Diana ruled the day. And she was the goddess to whom everyone turned and everyone paid tribute. And it was not unreasonable that these little silver shrines that were made by this silversmith named Demetrius had found their way into many of the homes in that region. Perhaps even in homes that followed the name of Jesus. So, think about what we just heard, what's going on in that region, and then think again about Paul's enthusiasm and obvious intentional endorsement of Jesus as the Christ. Paul is concerned for those that he knows in Ephesus and for those that he doesn't know who are part of the fellowships in the region. They are living in a place where Jesus is not exalted to where he should be. And he wants to remind them of what Jesus Christ has done. And it seems to me that he wants the Ephesians to be perfectly clear about who it is that saves. Who it is that brings salvation. Who it is that really is Lord. The Lord of nature, the Lord of childbirth, the Lord of hunting, the Lord and protector of the weak, the Lord of everything that they can think of. And Paul's point here is, it's not Diana. It is Jesus, the Christ. God saves and brings salvation through the one whom he has appointed and anointed. Jesus, the Christ. Seems to me that there is something here for us to be reminded of. It's, it's perfectly reasonable to think that in the same way that the Ephesians were living in a culture that was saturated with, may I say it this way, disrespect to the Lord Jesus. We might find ourselves living in a society that is very similar. And religious syncretism is not a new phenomenon. But in fact, people have been blending faith traditions and beliefs together for centuries. It's one of the things that the Israelites got in trouble with over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Syncretism, taking a bit of what they believed about Yahweh and combining it with some of what the culture had to say about their gods. And, and it was just sort of a, a happy mix. Not to God. And so, I think that that as Paul launches into these verses in the first of Ephesians, he wants his readers and he wants all those who would read after the Ephesians, including us, to not allow Jesus to be denigrated in any way in our lives, to not allow cultural influences around us, things that, things that call to our hearts, things that call to our security, things that call to our self-esteem, uh, things that, that call to our comfort. 
doesn't want those things to, to dull our appreciation for the greatness of who Jesus Christ is and the grandiose scope of salvation that God has provided through him. And the thing is that, that we would never intentionally go there, but it's subtle. But it is subtle. That's why I think it's, it's good for us to, to be reminded of some of the truths that, that Paul says here. What I want to do in just the few minutes that we have left, I'm going to try and blaze through four of the statements that Paul makes regarding the particulars of our salvation. Uh, probably very briefly together. Um, they were highlighted as we read. You may have noticed some of those, those words highlighted. Remember what I said earlier? Um, this is my take on Sunday mornings, you know? This is where God has led me in my preparation, but don't stop here. Go home and continue to read and, 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 and make these texts your own in terms of your own study. There's, there's much there. Okay, the first statement. We find it in verse 3. Paul starts off with, with praise. By the way, these verses that we read together, one continuous sentence in the original language. I think he was excited. You know? And then, man, he started in and it just gushed. So we're reading Paul's gush here, okay? So in verse 3, he says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Yeah! Whoa, let that rattle around a little bit. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Here's what's interesting. Nobody really knows what that means. But let's, let's take a stab at it for just a sec and uh, see if, if this maybe makes some sense. First, it means every spiritual blessing. Not some spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Wow. Of all the spiritual blessings that are available to us in Christ, he's not stingy. We've been given them all. And they're spiritual blessings. So it means that they're spiritual in nature. And that probably means that they have to do with how we as God's people, people that have the spirit of God living in us, live our spiritual lives. And given the immediate context... I think those blessings, at least some that Paul has in mind here, have to do with God's choice to save us, God's choice to redeem us, God's choice to forgive us, God's choice to adopt us, God's choice to, to plant His Spirit within us. They are blessings that are given to empower us. And here's the cool thing. They're given to every one of God's people. Spiritual gifts differ. I have gifts that you don't have. You have gifts that I don't have. We all have all the spiritual blessings in Christ. That is significant. And the language that he uses, in Christ, being in Christ, it's language that makes or identifies Jesus Christ as the source of these blessings. It's, it's similar to the language of of John, John 15, when John, when Jesus told his disciples about the importance of abiding in him, abiding or residing in him. One commentator says it this way. It is as if Christ were a vast repository holding all the blessings of God. 
And because believers reside in him, abide in him, they can enjoy those blessings. Jesus Christ makes everything of significant, everything of significance available to us as his people. One writer puts it this way. Most of us are familiar with, the, with, with identity theft. It occurs when someone steals your name and, another personal, and other personal information for fraudulent use. Most of us are dismayed by this new cyber age crime. And we wouldn't assume that the theft of another person's identity is acceptable behavior. The surprising reality, however, is that Christians are, by definition, people who have someone else's identity. They're called Christians because they've taken the identity of someone else. The Christ. The Messiah, the anointed one. And not only have you been given an identity that you weren't born with or that you didn't earn the right to use, but you're invited to empty the checking account and use all the benefits that this identity brings. Wow. Jesus the Christ has provided for us every spiritual blessing that we need to live as his people. Second truth statement. This one is found in verses 4 and 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. That is, to be his children through Jesus Christ. Whoa, did you hear it? There's that word. It's the 14-letter, four-letter word in Christianity. It's called predestination. So let's be honest. You know, we come from different backgrounds, different traditions. We hear that word and immediately our head starts swirling. We're thinking Calvinism. We're thinking Arminianism. You know, we're thinking free will. We're thinking the order of things, which theologians, you don't want to know what theologians call that. They all have to do with God's decree of salvation in the lives of his people. Predestination is all about God's sovereign choice. And we want to wrestle with how that choice comes about. Did God choose and we had nothing to do about it? Did we have something to do about it? Therefore, God chose. And away we go. Let's think about this for a minute. In the book of Ephesians, predestination has very little to do with individuals, which is what we make it, and everything to do about being the people of God. Quite often, We think of it individually and the benefits that that brings or not to an individual. But but so many of the biblical texts speak of election in corporate terms. That's the entire emphasis of this chapter. Focuses upon those who collectively are in Christ. To predestine means to predetermine, to decide beforehand. And here's what I want us to take away from this. We could talk about predestination until the cows come home. I don't think that's beneficial for us. What I think is beneficial is that we read the text for what it says. And the text says that God did that in love. God did that in love. Love drives the choices and the decisions of God. And so what we need to take away from this is that because of his great love, God had a plan since before the creation of the world, Paul says we were chosen. Before the creation of the world, knowing all the possibilities of what could happen, God chose a plan that would make us his kids. Let's focus upon the wonder of a loving God that predetermined to take care of the sin problem. And make us a part of his family. 
and just sort of live in this delightful bliss with the tensions that float around. Rather than wrestle with the what ifs, I suggest that we we go with what we know for sure. God's predetermination to save lost people is motivated by his love. And it is a privilege not to be basked in or to be gloated in, but it's a privilege that brings responsibility. The good works that God has created for us to do. Paul talks about those in chapter 2. Okay, third statement found in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. I'm going to shorten these last two down really quickly. The concept of redemption in Scripture means to take a bad situation, a hopeless situation, to bring good from it. God as Redeemer is a precious title. It is a precious characterization of who God is. Because when God redeems, He's doing what only God can do. He's rescuing a hopeless situation and He's bringing something wonderful from it. God did what was necessary. And as we've said before, if there was another way to provide salvation, you don't think He would have thought of it? But there wasn't. God did what had to be done. There was no other way to cover the sins of humanity and esteem the holiness of God except through the death of His Son on the cross. We'll we'll see more of this in chapter 2. Okay, last statement, quickly. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Friends, this is a gift of God to His people. Paul describes the spirits and dwelling of God's people as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. There's something coming, and it's guaranteed. Christopher Hitchens, that I started with this morning, was diagnosed this past summer with cancer. And in a part of an article that I read this week, he wrote these words. He said, I am, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade. And I felt I'd worked hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married? To watch the World Trade Center rise again? To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? I sometimes wish I were suffering in a good cause or risking my life for the good of others instead of just being a gravely endangered patient. Brothers and sisters, how about this? How about knowing that despite the suffering and the heartache and the pain and the disappointment and the hurt of living in this broken world, we belong to a God who loves us. And has a plan for his children that goes beyond what we see here. A plan that began before the world was created and will continue long after this world is gone. That's the salvation that Ephesians is talking about. It's big. It's grand. You know, in the Greek, the word deposit that Paul uses here to describe the Spirit, it indicates a down payment that would guarantee complete payment. There's no default. There's no getting out of it. It is the idea that the Spirit of God is the first installment of our salvation as a result of our belief. And the Spirit of God is the guarantee that the full inheritance will be delivered to us as promised. This is a great salvation. Praise team. Come on up as we uh, 
prepare to, to close this morning. Salvation in Jesus, my brothers and sisters, it's thorough and it is complete. From start to finish, we belong to him. We are secure in him. What a plan. What an amazing salvation. Amen?